I want to welcome you all here uh, to the Museum District campus. Welcome to our Timber Grove campus as well, over at 8200 Washington Avenue in the Heights. We love you all. We're so glad that you all are with us in spirit today, and it's my honor to bring a message to you all today. Um, Y'all were supposed to have a live speaker this morning at Timber Grove. Meredith Kirk was scheduled to bring this message. We wrote a lot of this message um, together, um, but Meredith came down with the flu this week, and so y'all pray for Meredith, and you're stuck with me another week at Timber Grove. So um, also want to say hi to everybody joining us online. Y'all be sure and check in at the comment section. Just let us know that you're here, okay, and let us know where you're tuning in from, unless it's some... Um, paradise of a vacation spot, in which case, just keep it to yourself. We don't want to know, all right? Um, so today, um, we're going to dig into another topic in our ongoing sermon series called True or False. This is, we're about halfway through now in this series, True or False, Fact-Checking Controversial Christian Claims. And uh, so far, we've tackled some controversial ones, such as social media is evil, uh, you can love Jesus and hate church, and then last week, God's preferred pronouns are he, him, his. And I am thrilled uh, today to report that today's topic that I'll announce in just a moment is not nearly as tough as last week's was. I'm glad the pronouns one is behind me. That was a, that was a bear. But I think the best part about this series is that it's not just me that lets my voice be heard. Everybody here can let your voice be heard. So every week we're having an online community survey. So an online poll that makes the rounds and y'all get to say what you think about this week's controversial claim. All right. So the controversial claim this week is drinking alcohol is a sin. That's what we're talking about today. So things about to get awkward up in here. Y'all just be ready. And y'all know me. You know awkward is my love language. I love awkward moments. I, I just live for them. I create them every day. And I'm about to create one up in here. All right. So uh, drinking alcohol is a sin. Let's see what our community said in our online survey this week about whether or not this statement is true or false. Overwhelmingly false. Like... I have never seen anything like this at the Story Church where some social issue is concerned. Not only did 63% of you say decidedly false, completely false, but another 31% of you said it's mostly false. So 94% of our church has gathered together under this banner of fighting for your right to drink alcohol. All right, no applause, no, <laughs> no. Y'all, um, the story has always been really like ideologically diverse, like, um, like, like uh, very politically diverse. And whenever I talk about something controversial, I inevitably hear from someone on the far right or far left, you know, and. And uh, I use those terms in a relative sense. There's no like super far right or super far left people in Texas. I don't think maybe far. Anyway, I'm not going to. So the, 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 the truth is we got people all over the political ideological spectrum. And I have never seen the story as a community agree so completely about any issue. You certainly didn't agree to the tune of 94% where social media or loving Jesus and hating church or, or God's preferred pronouns were concerned. And you're definitely not going to agree to this extent next Sunday when I talk about climate change. 
and Christianity. Can't wait for that one. I'm guessing 94% of you are not going to agree, although this is an oil and gas town, so who knows what might happen there. But most of you oil and gas people are are working too much to vote in online surveys. So I'm not worried about us having a 94% agreement rate again. We're, 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 we're divided on every other major social issue, and then this issue comes along. And on the one end, I'm really happy that we've finally taken Jesus seriously about unity and stuff. Jesus is like, be united, be united. And we're like, okay, on this one thing. <laughs> Uh, on drinking should be okay. I'm not sure that's what Jesus had in mind when he asked us to be united, to come together as one. But uh, here we are under this banner of drinking and it's okay to drink and it's not a sin to drink alcohol. We're going to talk about this today um, because a few things are happening in our time and in our place that make this conversation of the utmost importance. Although this is an easier subject to, bro- to breach than, than like last week's with pronouns, this is probably more important and more urgent because it so directly impacts so many of you and me and everybody that you know. For a few different reasons, um, we're talking urgently about alcohol today. Um, not least of which is because all the research is showing us that since like they're saying since 2019 is when they first started seeing the spike. But 2020 was where it really accelerated. For obvious reasons, everybody knows we had a little pandemic in 2020, (laughs) starting in March of 2020. And we're starting to see the data bear out what happened to us in terms of our alcohol consumption. And the results across several studies are just really alarming. One study out of Maryland asked thousands of of adults how their drinking habits and patterns have changed since March of 2020. And y'all can all guess what the results were, right? Because it probably hit a lot of us too. Since March of 2020, over 60% of adults in that Maryland study said that their drinking has increased dramatically since March of 2020. Okay, so there has been, there is, this is not a pastor taking statistics and twisting them to his own. This is just, study after study after study that shows that what used to be a normal amount of drinking for non-alcoholic people, right? Like if you're not an alcoholic, what a normal amount of drinking used to be. In 2018, the average American adult every 30-day period drank an average of 12 alcoholic beverages every 30 days. Well, uh, by 2020, that number had increased. Just two years later, that number increased to 27 alcoholic beverages every 30 days. 27 drinks every 30 days on average. Now you have to understand that that number factors in the people among us who don't drink at all. All right, so the number of average drinks per drinker is probably higher than 27. So there's been a spike in our culture. We're seeing the consequences play out. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of obvious consequences uh, to this increase in drinking, but the most grave consequences are alcohol-related deaths. Among Americans between age 16 and 64, according to the CDC, more people died from alcohol consumption than from COVID-19 in 2020. In 2019, there were 39,000 alcohol-related deaths in the U.S. In 2020, it jumped to 49,000. And in 2021, the estimates are somewhere around 52,000 
these do not include um, uh, accidents, car accidents or ATV accidents, other boating accidents. This is just people who drink too much alcohol poisoning and alcohol-related uh, physical medical conditions. All right, so that's one reason why we need to have this talk today. Another reason, it has less to do with what's going on out in the big bad world and, and more to do with what's going on right here at the Story Church. This is hard to talk about, but we gotta talk about it. Um, it was several years ago now um, that Gio and I and other leaders at the Story realized that we had unwittingly created a culture at our church that is intentionally soft on alcohol. And it was, uh, it was well-intentioned. What we were trying to do was create a cool sort of setting where non-religious people or people that have baggage, church-related baggage, can come and feel at home and feel welcome. And one time I saw this preacher at what I thought at that time was the coolest church I'd ever seen before preach a sermon with a bottle of wine in his hand. And as he preached, he was drinking the wine. And by the end of his, the last service, by the end of his sermon and the last service of the day, <laughs> Like, it was a whole different preacher we were looking at. It was, it was like, and, and it, it was like that. It was like a joke. It was like funny. And I was laughing too. And I thought, wow, the people who go to this church don't look like your typical Christians. Maybe that's what it takes to have a church that atypical sort of non-Christian types would consider attending so that they're not surrounded by you know, judgy, bigoted types that are just always on edge and always pointing fingers, but Maybe if we created a church that jokes more about alcohol than we warn people about it, maybe that would put people at ease. And so we started hosting Easter celebrations at St. Arnold's. Some of y'all remember. Like three, three years in a row, we had Easter at St. Arnold's. And I'm not saying I regret that because, honestly, there's probably over 100 people that call the story their church home now because back then some friend of theirs invited them to celebrate Easter at St. Arnold's. And they were like, that sounds cool. Let's go. Free beer. Okay. So they went. And instead of, you know, just enjoying some free beer, they ended up meeting Jesus and finding a community and all that. So some good fruit came out of those good intentions. However, another thing that's happened is that we've created a culture that has left many in our community vulnerable to spiritual attack where alcohol is concerned. And both of those things can be true. And we don't have to sacrifice one for the sake of the other. We don't have to become less winsome to non-religious people and more, you know, stodgy and rigid to protect people that are vulnerable to alcohol. But we also, we also just, we must protect those in our community that are vulnerable to uh, temptation and self-deception regarding alcohol abuse, all right? So what do you do when you find yourself at a crossroads, when you've gotten yourself to a point in life um, and created a culture or a lifestyle or a personality type around something that is less than ideal or something that you know is leaving you at risk or vulnerable to attack, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do as a believer is you search the scriptures. You find out what the Bible actually says about the issue that you're facing. And when it comes to alcohol, y'all, you're going to be shocked by the breadth of, of wisdom <laughs> that exists in this ancient book we call the Bible. Because some of y'all, like me, you grew up in churches where all you ever heard about alcohol is that it's evil. Right? And, and so you're going to 
You're going to be surprised by some of what you're going to hear today is in the Bible. And some of y'all may not also be aware of, of, of the other side of that coin where the Bible's lifting up the, the red flags where alcohol is concerned. So let's dig into this a little bit. I'm going to start you off in the Bible with the good news because I feel like that's what everybody wants to hear first. So if you came today looking for a pastor who will give you permission to keep drinking, just follow along with me in this first part of the message and then you can be mad at me later, all right, because we're going to get around to the other stuff in a minute. But there's some good news for y'all in, in the Bible as far as alcohol is concerned, especially as far as wine is concerned. And it starts early in the Bible, in those books of Moses, where supposedly it's all about just doing the right thing and being a sober person, you know. Well, let's check out what the book of Moses called Deuteronomy has to say about wine, uh, you know, alcoholic beverages like wine. Okay, so Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 and 14, this is God speaking to the people, says, If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God, and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Then I'll send rain on your land and in its season and both autumn and spring rain so that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your olive oil. Now, if you grew up in one of those churches where all, all you ever heard about wine or, or alcoholic beverages is that they're evil, what do we say to this? Clearly, God included wine in the list of good gifts he intended for his people, right? So we would never say that grain is a curse or that uh, olive oil is evil, but we say those things about alcohol sometimes. It doesn't make sense biblically. Clearly, God said to his people, if you obey, I will reward your obedience with wine. Can I get a amen, hallelujah from the congregation today. If you obey, I will reward you with wine. Wow. Okay, it's got to be a good thing. God doesn't give evil gifts. God doesn't give bad things. All right, so he only gives good things. We must consider wine a good gift from above. Now, in response to that sort of thing, a, a lot of pastors that I've listened to over the years would say something like, well, but wine in the Bible wasn't alcoholic, which is a silly sort of argument to make when you look at it in context. Wine in the Bible wasn't really alcoholic, and they had to drink wine, Eric, because the water was dangerous. You heard this, right? So it was out of necessity and uh, desire to be healthy that they drank wine. Well, Psalm 104 counteracts, counterbalances that argument. It's this as clear as day. This is a, the psalmist writing about God. He makes springs pour water into the ravines, and then there's just one thing after more and more gifts from God, water from God, and then the birds of the sky nest by the, uh, where are we here? Okay, nest, there we go, nest by the waters, sorry. And they sing among the uh, uh, among the branches, he waters the mountains from his upper chambers. He gives more and more gifts, makes the grass grow for the cattle, plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, one gift after another. And then it says he gives wine that is cleaner than water. Is that what he said? No, he gives wine that sanitizes. No, no, that's not it. What does he give wine for? Wine that gladdens human hearts. Nobody's applauding or anything to that. I thought you might. Most people drink 
wine or alcohol for this purpose, to gladden the heart, right? And it's, it should not fall on deaf ears today that the reason why most people drink is the exact same reason why God gave us wine to drink, to gladden the human heart. It's a beautiful, joyful thing when someone knows how to drink responsibly and to drink in a way that honors God and to drink just to gladden the human heart, to drink while remaining in control of yourself. That's a beautiful thing. And some of y'all have never had to fight the battle that others of you are fighting every day. And if you've never had to fight a battle with alcohol and knowing when is enough, then you should thank your lucky stars every day. And I'm one of you. I'm, I'm in that category. I've never really wanted to be really drunk. It's just not been, y'all know I've had problems in my life. That's just not been one of them. But I can empathize. I can understand what it would be like to want more and more of that feeling to the extent that you can have too much of a good thing. Now, this idea of wine being good, a good gift from God meant to gladden the heart, it doesn't stop in the Old Testament. It continues into the New in fact, if anything, it accelerates in the New Testament with Jesus, no less. Probably the most popular thing Jesus ever did was the time he's earned water into wine. How do I know this? There's two reasons I know this. The first reason is because I have seen again and again at parties and social settings people who, to the best of my knowledge, have never been to church, have never picked up a Bible, when they learn that I'm a pastor at a party, are quick to quote to me verbatim the text of John chapter 2. It's a miracle, really. When ardent skeptics inform me, a pastor, that one time Jesus changed water into wine. Like that is uh, easily the best known thing that Jesus ever did among all the things Jesus ever did. And the other reason that I know this is because every once in a while on Reddit or Twitter, I see non-religious atheist types posting this very famous meme of a miracle that happened at a Walgreens one time under the water sign. There's a bunch of wine. Jesus was here. That's atheist humor, and I like it. All right, so everybody knows Jesus turned water into wine. So he, 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 he made wine. And he served wine at the communion table that we celebrate every Sunday, right? Like Jesus served wine. Now we serve grape juice, and that's partially because we kind of came out of the Methodist tradition, and the Methodists were the forerunners of the Prohibition movement. If you didn't know that, you can read about it in your history books. But Welch, Mr. Welch from Welch's Grape Juice was a Methodist whose pastor told him to find a way to pasteurize grape juice, or to pasteurize the grapes, and so they wouldn't have to serve alcohol at communion. Anyway, anyway, that's, you learn something new every day. All right, so that's one of the reasons we serve. And we want to make sure everybody's safe and, and, and feels welcome um, without being triggered in any way uh, at the communion table. So Jesus served wine, and he made wine. But did Jesus drink wine? Is that enough evidence for us to just say, you know, clearly Jesus drank wine? Well, Jesus, we don't, have to, we don't have to insinuate or guess. Jesus told us in his own words, thankfully. Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. Jesus said, for John, talking of John the Baptist, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He was acting so different and so weird. He was a threat to the establishment, so they said he's demon-possessed. And now the Son of Man, he's talking of himself, Jesus came eating and drinking. 
And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So in response to John's lifestyle, the establishment started rumors about him having a demon. In response to Jesus's lifestyle, the establishment started rumors about him being a drunk and a glutton. So he must have eaten and he must have been drinking. But although he admits to that fact that he has been drinking among the people around him and all of that, he wasn't just serving or, or, or you know, um, well, manifesting <laughs> wine. He was drinking it, but he never, this is important, he never admitted to or even alluded to any idea that he was drinking to excess. He never said that he was getting drunk. He just went along with the reality that he occasionally, I guess, drank in uh, social settings because people saw him doing it. So from this passage, clearly Jesus drank wine. And if you're a Christian, if Jesus drank wine, you can't then say drinking is always sinful. Because if Jesus is like a better Nixon, like if Jesus did it, then it's not a sin. You know, it's like, <laughs> any, any historians? Okay, oh, so, so anyway, so Nixon said if the president does it, it's not a crime, right? So if Jesus did it, it's not a sin, okay? Um, that's, that's a reality we have to, to reckon with if, if you've been uh, steeped in a Christian culture that just looks at uh, alcohol as being inherently evil. Okay, so that, that's the good news about the Bible and alcohol, okay? There's a lot of, lot of it. There's a lot more I could have said, but that's the gist of it. Now I want to move into the section that's going to make some of you really uncomfortable, okay? So let's get to the bad news, uh, the other side of that coin. Before I get into the passages I'm going to share with you, I'd like to share with you sort of my um, understanding of the biblical response to today's controversial claim for us. So what I think the Bible would say, does say to us, about today's controversial claim that drinking alcohol is a sin, I'm gonna go against the grain here and say the Bible's answer for us would be mostly true. Mostly true. And I mean it, y'all. I was on the fence, so I thought maybe mostly false. So I don't wanna be weird and off-putting. But there's a couple reasons why I actually think the Bible's answer for us is mostly true. And, uh, and uh, I'll just explain to you now. I stood up here three weeks ago and said, social media isn't evil because you can't call an inanimate object evil, right? Remember that, some of y'all? And so some of y'all were like, social media is evil. And I was like, well, it can be if you use it for evil. And that's the whole point. I'm not here saying that, dr that, that alcohol is evil or sinful. I'm saying drinking can very much be evil or sinful and how it's carried out. So it's the act of drinking that is uh, at issue today, all right? Now, the other factor, big uh, swallow here, because this, this part makes me nervous. Okay. The other factor I had, to, I had to take into consideration when preparing this message and deciding what the Bible says to us, I had to consider us, my audience today. And, you know, it's, it's like a, a pastor in some ways is, in some ways like a parent, like you're supposed to know your congregation's strengths and vulnerabilities. Like a parent, a good parent knows their kids' strengths and vulnerabilities. And I have two kids, and they're very different people. And if for some reason I found out that I, had to, I only had one conversation to have with 
both of them. I want to have the same conversation with both of them because there's very different things that each of them need to hear. Like I've got one kid who needs to hear that they probably should talk less. But I've got this other kid who needs to hear that it's okay to speak up more. And I'm not going to out them. Y'all, if you know my kids, you know, all right? So, <laughs> and I could go on and on. There's all kinds of things, you know. One of them probably needs to be a little less confident. The other one probably needs to be a little more confident. And so I would cater my, my advice or my counsel to them based on their strengths and vulnerabilities. And in the same way, if I were preparing this message to deliver this message to a congregation of sober Mormons, I would probably say false or mostly false, because in, in my understanding of that culture, alcohol abuse is not necessarily a major issue facing most sober Mormons. But I'm not preaching this message to a bunch of sober Mormons, am I? I'm preaching this message to us, a bunch of stressed out, maxed out, Houstonians, upwardly mobile, always trying to get to the next level, always trying to numb the pain so we can keep going. And my sense is, <laughs> can I be honest? You're like, wait, can I, just now he's starting to be honest? Okay, so <laughs> I'll just say it. My sense is for most of us, for too many of us, too much of the time we think about Bottles of wine like most Mormons think of wives, or they used to, right? <laughs> like one is never enough. <laughs> All right? Okay, that was a little offensive. But you get what I'm saying. We, we have more of a problem here than we like to admit. And so it's my duty to talk about this in a way that uh, reveals or reflects that problematic truth, okay? So um, the reason I, I went with mostly true today is because uh, while drinking alcohol isn't always a sin, there are certain things about drinking alcohol that can be sinful. And let me just walk us through a few examples. The first, drinking alcohol is a sin when you lie about it. And I don't mean these bold lies that are just earth-shaking, like obvious deception. I mean day-to-day little, little innocent white lies. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies, and the more you're under his influence, the easier it is to lie. And the more you're under the influence of Jesus, the easier it is to tell the truth, and the more repulsed you are by deception. And so when I say that drinking um, or or lying is a symptom of your drinking crossing a line, I I really do mean it. And it can be something as simple as lying about how much you drink or how often, lying to yourself or lying to others. Y'all, self-deception is maybe the most harmful kind of deception, Because you can convince yourself that things you think or things you say are actually the truth when you know, in fact, that they are not. I'm going to look at this passage with you all now, Ephesians chapter 5. And this is verse 
6, where I'm starting. Um, not explicitly about alcohol here, but, but you'll get the gist of what I'm, what I'm saying about living in the shadows of darkness versus living in the light of Christ. Paul wrote, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons, the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't go with the flow. Don't do what others are doing just because they're doing it and it's more comfortable to fit in. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose unfruitful works of darkness. Be different. Be the salt, the seasoning of the life around you. Be light in the darkness. For it's shameful even to speak of the things people do in secret, but when anything's exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, you can follow Jesus, you can love Jesus with an occasional glass of wine in your hand, but do not be deceived about your patterns, habits, your reasons for drinking. Do not be deceived into deceiving others about the extent to which you've leaned on alcohol consumption as a crutch to get through the day, to take the edge off, to fit in at a party. Those are not good reasons to drink regularly. And as long as we're lying to others and to ourselves and to God about it, we're going to be vulnerable to the enemy's manipulation. And some of the ways that we self-deceive can be so under the radar, it's, it's easy to let it slide. For example, I'll hear things like, well, I don't drink like other people drink. <laughs> like, I might drink... 20, 25 drinks every 30 days. But the other day, my pastor said in a message that the average American drinks 27. So if anything, my drinking is below average. All right. First of all, I want to see receipts on your claim of 20 to 25 drinks every 30 days. Secondly, secondly, you know, are you drinking all those in one or two days? Or are you like spreading it out a little bit? You know, how, how in control of this are you? And thirdly, I don't think when God calls us to holiness in Scripture, he ever told us to compare ourselves to each other. But instead to compare ourselves to the high, high standard of his holiness, right? Other ways we deceive ourselves is the, the old standard, right? The, the I can quit any time. Don't talk to me about how much I'm drinking. I can quit any time. All right. Do it. Quit. Not just tonight either. Quit for a long time. Master it. Claim authority over it. Lest it claims authority over you and masters you. Go through a season of fasting even. Just the 40-day season of Lent or Advent or whatever there's. Force yourself to claim independence over this substance before you allow yourself to keep lying to yourself and others, even in seemingly innocuous ways. Another thing that I've seen and heard um, people do, since it's Senior Sunday, I'll throw parents under the bus a little bit. All right, so I've heard parents of, of older students, older, older teenagers talk about how responsible parenting in 2022, Pastor Eric, involves 
providing the alcohol for your child and their friends at your house. So you can keep an eye on them, lest they go and drink alcohol someplace unsafe. It's called parenting, Eric. No, that's called self-deception, and that's a lie. That's not what good parenting looks like. And when one parent decides to do that, it makes it harder on the rest of us trying to raise our kids to follow Jesus, to uh, be faithful to Scripture, all right? So um, this is just the power of self-deception. Whenever somebody's lying to themselves or others about alcohol consumption, that's a sign their drinking has crossed the line into sinful territory. Second, um, drinking is a sin if you love it. Love is the operative word. Do you love it? Do you love to drink? I mean, it's okay to say yes. It's just, it's a confession, right? Yes, I love to drink. I love the feeling of drinking. I love letting loose with friends. I love relaxing. I love the feeling of being drunk. You know, it's okay to say those things as long as we're saying them. Ready to surrender and submit ourselves to God and his word. Proverbs 21, 17 says, whoever loves pleasure will be poor. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And so in other words, if you have misplaced love, misplaced desire, you're going to struggle in this life, all right? And um, that's just a practical teaching. That's not even to say what it does to our eternal souls. But the whole idea of this love, the Hebrew word is ahav, is a word that means desire, to desire something deeply. Ultimate desire is to love something. And what I want you to see is that God put those desires in you. Every desire you have has a good and holy root. So the desire to be loved, the desire to be held, the desire for intimacy, the desire for security and safety, the desire to be filled and satisfied, and even the desire to be intoxicated comes as a gift from God. The problem isn't the desire. The problem is our aim in seeking to fulfill those desires. So continuing on in Ephesians chapter 5, this is uh, picking up at verse 15. Oh, this is, to me, this is cool. So Paul names our issue. He says, look carefully when you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord and do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But look, that's obvious. Everybody knows that's in the Bible. But look what he says next. Instead of getting drunk with wine, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Instead of filling yourself with wine, be filled with God's Spirit. Instead of being intoxicated with wine, become intoxicated by God's Spirit. That's the analogy he's clearly drawing here. And if you've never been intoxicated with God's spirit before, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're worried we're going to pull out some snakes and start handling them. Like, what kind of church is this? What I'm saying is the intoxication of God's spirit is one of God's most fundamental promises and good gifts to us. And it's available to every one of us. And it starts with how we worship. That's why Paul says next, in the very next line, addressing each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's worship. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always to everything to God the Father. That's worship. And if you've never really felt the intoxication of God's Spirit, it could have something to do with you feeling a little inhibited in your worship, or you look at people in worship lifting their hands, thinking, oh, that's weird. I, 
I don't know, that's just weird. Maybe they're just pretending or acting. It's like they're on a stage, it's super weird. I don't wanna be that kind of Christian. Man, if only we could all follow you to the next Astros home game. When Altuve belts one over the fence in the ninth and watch your hands go up in the air as if you're worshiping, but you're just not quite aiming that worship in the right direction. That spirit in you, that, that desire for elation, intoxication, rapture even, is God-given. God is the one who intoxicates like no other. And every desire, every time we reach to be intoxicated by something less than God is an attempt to fulfill a God-given desire with something less than God. And it always leaves us unsatisfied. That's why we have to go back and drink more. To learn to worship God is to open your heart to the intoxication of his spirit. That's where the desire for intoxication really comes from. And if you've never felt it and you have no idea what I'm talking about, make this part of your prayer life. Pray for God to show you what it means to be inundated, filled with his spirit to the point of intoxication. And when you feel it, when you have that experience, you will want the bottle less, I promise. Because no other lesser intoxication compares to being filled with his spirit. In worship. Third, alcohol is a sin whenever you linger over it. I'm a little less clear on this one, but I, bought, I borrowed this word from a proverb that I'm going to read in just a second. Linger literally means to stay longer than you should for a reluctance to leave. That's what linger means. And some of us feel oftentimes like the Bible doesn't speak directly to our concerns today, but listen to what how Proverbs 23 verse 29 to 35 talks about the problem of alcohol uh, addiction, really. This was written almost 3,000 years ago. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife or enmity in their relationships? Who's always fighting with their close loved ones? Who's always complaining about their lot in life? Who has wounds they can't explain, right? Wounds without cause. Who has redness in their eyes? Who's hungover today? That's what he's saying. Those who linger over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine, don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly, but in the end it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you'll say, but I wasn't hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When will I wake up that I might have another drink? If you've ever been there where it's like, you wake up from drinking to sooner than later seek out another drink to make you feel better about the withdrawal from the last drinks. This is real dangerous territory. And this is what I mean by lingering over wine or lingering over the drink. And this is really the simplest metric. And I think this is why I really landed on mostly true today. The simplest metric to understand if you've got any semblance of a sin-related problem with alcohol. It, it all comes back to drunkenness. And if you drink to get drunk, and if you regularly become drunk, or even occasionally become drunk from drinking, you need to understand that if you're seeking to live faithfully to, unto Scripture, while drinking alcohol isn't necessarily a sin, drunkenness always is. 
And it is a blessing to drink in limited ways to gladden the heart and enjoy your family, community, to enjoy God's creation and his goodness. But to drink to the point of drunkenness, to the point of being hungover, which is what Proverbs described, that's how you know it's time to rein this thing in, to get it under control, to, to seek holiness instead of leaning on this bottle or this alcohol any longer. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. If it's listed in a list of sins right before orgies, it's a serious problem. That's how you know we have an issue. Houston, Texas, we have an issue. Story Church, we have a problem here. Not one that's insurmountable, not one that can't be addressed. It's a problem that we can tackle together by the grace of God. There's resources at the bottom of your study guides today, just a couple of simple resources there. It's not the only way you can begin to get a handle on the habit or pattern that's taken shape in your life regarding alcohol, it can begin right now with a simple prayer of confession, an honest prayer, an honest word spoken to God from your heart to his. And I pray wherever you are on this, whether you're deep in this fight or whether you love people who are, join me in prayer right now. Father, we admit and confess that we need um, help with this issue. It is so prevalent and such a normal part of everyday life that it's easy to just not even pay attention, Lord. Right now, we want to be fully aware and mindful of the effect and impact that alcohol can have on us in terms of uh, the person, the people we become when we're under its influence, um, in terms of the church we become when we let our guard down. Lord, we know that alcohol abuse has such devastating impacts on families and children for generations, Lord, and we want to finally, once and for all, say no to that cycle and say yes to something better. We want to reorient our desires away from these lesser things like alcohol and toward having every essential desire of ours being fulfilled in you and by you. We thank you, Lord, for this wake-up call today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.